Come on, man. Hey, guys. It's just a pipe. Hey, what's going on, guys? Here at the Swamp. Get ready to beat LSU. Y'all tune in to the Rule Number One podcast on Monday. And we're back. Episode 8. Man, I'm really excited about this one. We have a guy from the realm of NASCAR, partner. You know I'm a big big fan of that. Oh, yeah. We're so excited. Uh, we love to be able to get into all different kind of areas of life, and we were able to have somebody that was so invested into NASCAR. We're, we're excited. We have Riley. He uh, He's head of the Midwest ticket sales for NASCAR, um, and he's you know trying to move up the ranks in the NASCAR realms um, in terms of more of the business to, uh, side of things rather than driving a race car yeah being on the track yeah man welcome in riley mcclellan uh thank you so much for coming on dude yeah man i appreciate you guys having me uh you know you work in nascar i got into it not too long ago a lot of people don't know what goes into it you know all the ownership points all the you know the playoff points all the tracking all the teams all the manufacturers you know a lot of people just look at it like it's just cars going in circle but it's really not. And, you know, I've been reading a lot about NASCAR because, you know, I'm just a big fan of it. And everything seems to be pointing in the right direction, especially in sales, you know, marketing and viewership. I know that it's been one of the only sports, the marquee sports in the United States market that's actually grown in viewership in the last couple of years. And that's awesome, man. Yeah, no, it's definitely been a good couple of years for us. Um, you know, we took something like COVID that was for so many such a bad thing, and we made it to where, you know, we started an iRacing series. You know, that's – and iRacing and NASCAR is the most one-to-one, right? Because instead of just looking at your your windows, now you're just looking at a screen. But you still got to drive. You still got to lift, all of this other stuff. Um, and then we positioned that so that way people would still have something live to watch, you know. And then we're also kind of a one-to-one where drivers are in their cars. So they're not really next to other – you know, uh, athletes on the track there. So you could still run races, you know, it, it kind of hurt from the fan perspective, not being there, but we were still able to have races. And I think that's what drew a large part of our new audience in. Um, so it's definitely been a crazy couple of years, but we've been doing pretty good. Yeah. You mentioned the iRacing. Um, you, you don't know what it is. Yeah, I'm not sure what so, that was. I was about to ask. The iRacing, is, it's insane, man, what goes into it, the amount of money. It's like these big kind of simulators that drivers have. Some of them have them at their house, I'm pretty sure, uh, yeah. that they race in and get get in. It's like a whole seat, a whole steering mm-hmm. wheel, the whole chassis, and it's just racing online. Like they're, they're big monitors, and you're just basically inside this car. That's just you're just online racing people. Oh wow! So yeah. it's basically like yeah, a big so, video game yeah, simulator. Exactly. Yeah. Imagine taking the the bucket seat out of your car with mm-hmm. the steering wheel and everything, and then just instead of having windows to your left, right, and front, they're just big like monitors. Oh, that's and then sweet. It's, everything's so like realistic. It's like on time. It doesn't lag. It, it's pretty cool. Yeah, if you've never seen it. Yeah, you brought up COVID when uh when it hit bad in 2020. You know there were all the sports kind of shut down. NASCAR was the first to come back and do something in person. I do remember that. And they set kind of, you know, the protocol for COVID sports and whatnot. But I watched those iRacing matches or races all the time. Like I would get on Twitch or, you know, I'd see the live stream on Twitter mm-hmm. during COVID. Just sit in the house and they are realistic, dude. It's crazy. Like yeah. the wrecks that would come from it. Some of them are kind of far-fetched how the... You know, it happens, but... You're going to have that, I'm yeah, sure, though. but it's still cool, man. It's so realistic to watch. And, like, I felt like I was, you know, watching a normal race. Yeah, I would love to hop in one of those things just to try it out. That would be a blast. It's a blast. It's a good way to spend three hours and you only even spend five minutes. Really? So you've been in one? 
Oh yeah, we have a couple in the office. Oh, that's oh, sick. Oh man, that's that sick. is so much fun. I know they uh before like our speed weeks in Daytona, they uh that's the week leading up to the Daytona five hundred and mm-hmm. kicking off the NASCAR year. They have like simulators and stuff set up out in the concourse in front of, you know, the track. And I'm you know, I'm not a huge fan. If I see a big old video game right there, I'm gonna obviously I'm obviously gonna go jump in there and go play. I waited like two and a half hours in line to go do it before the oh, race. Yeah. That's it was, awesome. It's. I mean, I love going to races, man. Well, Riley, we uh, we ask all of our guests. We kind of jump right into a little bit of your background, but we want to ask you, uh, what's your number one rule you live by, man? Yeah, man. Yeah, I would say the biggest thing that I live by um, is just try to get one percent better every day. You know, especially like in between your twenties and thirties, there's a lot of new stuff going on, but you're also developing it a lot as an adult, as a professional, and you know, it, it's something that you don't want to have. You're not going to get there at a hundred percent in a week. But if you can get 1% better each day in a year, you're 300% better, you know? So that's kind of what I try to go to and then have kind of that, you know, kind of grow. And then next thing you know, you're a year or two in and you've had a ton of growth just by trying to do a little bit more each day. You know, I think that's kind of the perspective that me and Nate here take on the podcast that we are putting on. You know, we want to, we work really hard outside of our eight, nine to five jobs to put on this production and to get 1% better, you know, we always sit here and think for hours. Like yesterday, we sat here at the house probably for eight or nine hours saying like, you know, who can we have on? Who Who's somebody that's cool, that, you know, that has a cool story? And we try to get 1% better. And I'm glad that, you know, you take that perspective into your career too. That's a really good way for people, you know, not to get drugged down in the lull of, you know, life and development and not to get discouraged by it, but embrace it. You know, I've go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, Oh, for sure. And you know, the big thing about like tickets and just sales in general is some days are going to be good. Some days are going to be bad. Some weeks and some months are going to be bad. But at the end of the day, if you can leave and say, Hey, you know, I got a little bit better on this objection or, you know, Hey, I actually figured out how to sell this hospitality area a little bit better. You at least have something to go home and say, okay, cool. Now we got somewhere to go. We can just go up from there. Then eventually those sales will start hitting and now we'll start getting somewhere. Yeah, I, uh, I've seen a lot of videos. I mean, I'm a big TikTok guy and Instagram reels. I really like a lot of the motivational um, quotes and stuff you hear. But I saw one and it was this guy and it's and he was saying, he's like, basically society is telling you in your 20s, it's, you know, go have fun and have fun while you're young. Go party, go out to clubs, go do whatever. When in reality, in fact, if you look at the people that are most successful in life, the most vital years of their career were between 20 and 30. And yeah. they put in the work to be able to set themselves up in a situation where by the time they're 40, they can sit back and coast the rest of their life and enjoy all the money they made. Yeah. I like to see, you know, like the hard work as compound interest, right? If you look at something, you know, like investing your money or investing your hard hard work, you know, if, if you look at Roth IRAs, right, the money that you would make from, if you just did it from 20 to 30 and just let it sit and compound is a tenfold than what, if you start at 30 and just, you know, keep going. Mm-hmm. So especially, you know, if you can get those first five years and just work hard and gain a brain, like a personal brand for yourself. I mean, I think the results are crazy. Right. Right. And I feel like a lot of times, well, you know, I've taken, I took a couple classes that expl- uh, explain um, investments and entrepreneurship a little bit, but I feel like as a whole, 
society's not really like teaching in terms of investments and like 401ks and Roth IRAs. Whenever you get to the workforce, that's when you're like, oh, hey, you have all these options and you can do whatever you want with it. But nobody's ever taught them about it. And so you have a lot of these people where by the time they get to 30, they're like, hey, how are all these other people have all this money? And I'm just stuck here. And I've never even thought about opening one. So I feel like as a whole, we need to do a better job of explaining that to people. Oh, for sure. Just as an example, we just hired two new guys full uh, full time there in the Midwest region for consumer sales. And then, you know, open enrollment comes around like 401k. Like, what's that? I'm like, dude, like you guys are 23 and 24. If you don't get on that right now, you're just going to hate yourself in 30 years. Yeah. Right? You know, because if like just simple numbers, if you're 22, right, it's 500 bucks a month to max it out for the year. But then by the time you're 67, you have millions. Yeah. You know, so let's say you have $2 million. You don't have to work the rest of the day in your life if you make 10%. And you have $200,000 a year just to play around with mm-hmm. at 67 when your house should be paid off. It's insane. You can definitely tell that Riley here is a numbers guy. I love it. Um, I love, yeah. yeah. yeah to me. <laughs> it's, it's awesome because, you know, I'm not a numbers guy. I'm, I'm a guy that, you know, I, I talk my way through things. I, you know, I, I think my way through things. I don't look at numbers and perspective. I'm like, well, I look at the whole situation as a whole and think a big picture like, okay, well, my brain just works differently. It's crazy though. A lot of people are different that way. But, you know, bringing up what y'all said about working hard through your 20s and 30s, it's really, really true. What's what's that old saying that we always, you know, tell ourselves, work hard in your 20s so you can uh, play hard in your 30s or something like that? Yeah, basically. I mean, that's kind of my my goals for my life is work super hard in 30 or uh, until I'm 30 and then kind of, you know, still coast in 30 by the time I'm 40. Hopefully it's uh, I pretty much got it made. I mean, I'm sure everybody wants to think like that, but you have to take the steps to get there. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. So yeah, the biggest thing is like right now for people in their twenties and thirties, this is like the time where they have the least amount of responsibilities. Right. Mm-hmm. So like yeah, most of them, true. they don't have a family, you know, they don't have to worry about too many bills, maybe a house, you know, a car payment, so if you can work right now and then when you have a family in your 30s, now you've already set the groundwork so you don't have to work 70 hours a week and you're still up there with your you know, your income, you'd be able to support your family. That's awesome. You know, Riley, you are a very, you can tell you're a very intelligent guy. You've moved your way up in the NASCAR realm, uh, marketing realm. How, how did you get there? You know, let's go back to step one. If, you know, somebody's watching this podcast at home and is like, man, I would love to have Riley's job one day. How, how did you, what was the steps that took you to this, this point? Yeah, dude. So I would say, you know, the biggest thing is kind of dumb luck. Um, you know, I had a teacher, it really it is. The story is incredible. So I had a teacher who was like, Hey, you guys should all get a LinkedIn and all this. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I got one. And then probably about a, a month later, a guy named Josh Belkoff. He used to be with Sports Business Solutions. Now he's with the Tyson Group. He reached out, and it was my junior year. You know, I just got done playing ball. Um, we had just won the World Series at that time. So I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to end it on that. That's uh, at uh, Southeastern, right? Yeah. It's pretty pretty solid way to go um, out right yeah. there. <laughs> um, so he's like, hey, do you want to go up to Daytona? Like, we're doing the sales seminar. Um, it's going to be an all-day thing, but, like, we'll have it catered. And I said, well, like, what day is it? He said a Friday. I'm like, well, shit. If I could do that and it's an excused absence, like, one of my last days I had to do practice, like, I could leave and I didn't have to run. I'm like, oh, yeah, this yeah, is out. You know, yeah, I don't got a condition anymore. I'm out. So <laughs> I wound up doing it. And he's like, yeah, you know, like, bring bring a couple of resumes just in case. I said, okay, whatever. Because I'm still a junior in my mind. I'm like, I have to do an internship. I have, like, three classes I got to do. 
And then so we get up there, have like a whole sales seminar, see the track, go eat lunch, and then come back and they said, okay, well, now we're going to have open interviews. And I was like, what? Yeah, like what's going, what do you mean? You know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, hell, I have nothing to lose. This is phenomenal. Um, So one of the first questions that they asked me, they said, if you could write a mixtape about your life, what would it be and why? And I have no idea why I said this, but I did. The first thing that popped up in my head was asthma. So, you know, me just in the back, asthma. <laughs> and then they're like, and this is in front of everybody, too. There's like 30 people. And they said, well, why? And I said, because it'll leave them breathless, baby. And then that was the only ever question they asked. And then they nice. asked, like, if I, yeah, if I could do an internship. So we wound up doing a paid internship um, as inside That's sales. That's one hell of a response, yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Um, so I wound up going two months later, doing a paid internship with them for four months. Um, and then once my internship was done, I worked tracks at a Martinsville Speedway in Virginia and then finished up my degree there. Man, that's awesome, dude. You've been all over the place, you know, um, yeah. NASCAR is real all over the place. They race in LA, they race in Phoenix for the championship. They obviously race in Daytona, um, Talladega, stuff like that, man. That's crazy that your job is taking you to all these different places. I, I remember when I first contacted you about trying to, you know, get into NASCAR, um, I saw a video of you at the banquet in Nashville, Tennessee, right? That's where yep. they host it. And yeah, burnouts on Broadway. Yep. They, uh, they do the burnouts on there. Like oh, that's bur- yeah. Uh, but I swiped up on your story. I said, how do I get there? And if you would have told me that story right there and not the, oh, do you can do this, this, and this, I would have been like, dude, I am in 100%. Like, but that's awesome. Like, it's all chance of luck, man. Yeah, right place, right time. I feel like Literally. that happens with a lot of people. I mean, a lot of successful people, you work really hard, but you catch a couple breaks every now and then, and it, it really helps you on your career. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a very big proponent of do what you need to do and always try to be nice to people. You know, whether you believe in karma or not, I think everything comes around full circle. Mm-hmm. So 100%. it's just kind of right place, right time, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It's a big thing on, uh, just also being very professional wherever you go. I mean, treat, it doesn't matter. You know, there's people in all different backgrounds and you don't ever know who you're really resa- uh, like surrounded with. And so you could just be having a natural conversation at the bar or at the dinner and you don't know who's sitting right next to you. And they might hear something you say, Hey, I really like that. Like, what's your name? Like, you mind to talk something and that could be your lucky break. But if you're out there, you know, cursing up a storm or, you know, being an idiot being, yeah. And you may never have that opportunity. You always got to carry a sense of professionalism with us. And we've both agreed with that. Like if we go out, we get noticed now because, um, you know, the podcast is doing somewhat well and people are, see us out in public and mention the podcast to us. But what if we were acting like an idiot in public? They'd be like, man, these guys are just, you know, Hypocrites. Yeah. <laughs> we don't. We don't yeah, quite have the barstool sports or yeah. something. Um, uh, liberties yet. <laughs> but yeah, and I think the biggest thing that people fail to realize at a young age is not only do you have like brands like Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, but y- your personal brand is just as big yes. to you. You know, at least as important to where it's so, like sports is such a small industry, especially if you get in like the business and then the ticketing side. To where if you don't know somebody, somebody that you know does. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, so that's one of the things, if you leave a bad impression, you don't know how many people that that's going to make it to. You know, I'm so glad that you brought that up. You know, branding yourself nowadays, especially with how, you know, business has gone all online, essentially. Um, everything's literally all online. Advertising's on social media, anything. You can order from social media. You have to brand yourself to make it in that realm. It's all. It's kind of like a whole new like world opening up. Um, 
that we've developed with the social media and how to market through it and whatnot. And if you look like a bad person online, you could be a great person, like in reality, like we, right. you could be a great person, you know, but if you look like you're a bad person online, nobody's going to give you the time of day. Cause just how much, you know, influence that comes from online resources nowadays through social media and whatnot. So yes, personal brand is huge. Um, I know I work on my personal brand all the time. I, uh, you know, I only take projects on that, you know, will only look good on me. Um, I know me and Smothers, we are very picky when it comes to interviews. Yep. And we we only select certain people that we know that represent themselves well, represent their story well, and represent their, you know, who they're affiliated with well. And, you know, Riley, that's such a great point. You got a, you got a personal brand. Yeah, I mean, what, to go uh, what Brian said, um, in terms of the interviews, I mean, we've had people on and we've recorded and decided just not to drop their episode because we didn't feel like it represent our you know, vision and our mission statement, kind of what, where we want to move. And if that's going to put a bad taste in some people's mouth, I mean, we're not going to do it. Yeah. I mean, we're, yeah. we're stern. We're stern. We want to, we want to put out our product and our, you know, our brand. And that's huge. I mean, anybody, everybody that is, you know, growing up and nowadays trying to find a job, you have to have an online brand. You have to have a personal yeah. brand to get any recognition at all. And, and then on top of that, I mean, if you have, um, like an online brand, you go p- apply for a job and you, for instance, have a TikTok or, you know, your Instagram reels and you're well known. I mean, as long as you're being professional about it, that only like supports your company that you would f- be future working with. So you're like, oh yeah, I'm in Bristol with NASCAR right now and this and that, and your TikTok blows up. That only helps TikTok. Yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, that only yeah. helps uh, NASCAR. So, you know, Riley, it seems like NASCAR has uh, kind of, instilled some good you know business values morals in you as an employee uh how's how's the workspace there you know a lot of a lot of bad stereotypes go towards nascar um in the you know modern social media thing it's just people don't know what it's really like and i got a glimpse of it going through the interview phase you know getting the job offer and whatnot um and it just seemed like the people there they they truly care about you as an individual, as an employee? Yeah, so I will say, you know, I've worked in a couple of different sport franchises. Um, I've worked in the G League. I've worked in professional hockey. Um, NASCAR is probably the biggest people-down organization that I've ever ever been a part of, you know. Um, and that's not even from my boss. That's from, like, the SVP of all sales, you know. Um, just everybody, they know you by your first name. You know, you're not a numbers cruncher. You're Riley. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think just as far as like being a people-oriented company, I think they're one of the best I've been a part of. Wow. And I, I think that, that also goes a long way, you know? Yeah. yeah. Especially in, in sales, a lot of it is numbers-based. So if you're having a couple bad days on the phone, you know, and you're not getting revenue like everybody else, it, be, it can become very stressful very fast. But to know like, hey, like you're safe. You know what I mean? Like you don't yeah. got to worry like, if you're doing, if you're at a bad week, you're out. Like, no, there's no way. So, it, it definitely helps out quite a bit. Right. I, I know that NASCAR. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You probably have a lot more, you know, input on it than I do. They offer a training program essentially to you know college graduates that they take in to train to you know work in the ticket sales. It's kind of an academy, and mm-hmm. you know they bring people in who they think fit their business model and, you know, fit their personnel. They train them, they train them and they ship them off, man. That's really cool. If you know, that's what 
NASCAR does. I, I don't know if that's 100% what they do, but I read a little bit about it. Yeah, so we have something called the NASCAR Sales Academy. Um, it's actually what my internship was. I was the second ever class. Uh, it's funny because when I started, there's only three of us. It was such like a small thing. Um, <laughs> and now there's 12 people coming in every six months. Oh, so wow. it's basically, yeah, if you're, you know, if you're out of college um, and you want somewhere where you could come learn sales, learn ticketing, you know, kind of learn how to become a professional in that aspect, you know, we'll train you. We'll spend two, probably a week and a half, two weeks just on our ticketing platforms, on a script that we use, you know, how to basically how to be the best you can at relationship based selling instead of being transactional. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause you can call somebody any day and say, Hey, do you want to buy? No. Okay, cool. Call me if you do. But to be able to build a relationship with somebody you've never met within two minutes and then ask them to give you their credit card information. Yeah. It, there's definitely a skill to it, you know? So mm -hmm. you got to take two to three weeks on that. And then we'll actually give you, Hey, call these people, you know, like if you sell them, we'll give you the commission for them. So that's another thing about sales is the, it's a direct relationship to the more you work, the more you get paid, you yeah. know? So like when I worked operations in the college, I had a great boss, right? Love the guy to death. But if he wouldn't told me after every 18 hour football game, Hey, you did a good job. Nobody would, you know? Yeah. But in sales, if nobody does that commission check will. So I think that's one of the biggest things is, you know, learning how to sell goods. Even if you get, cause it's a 10 month program. If, even if you get six months in, and decide to go to like the MLS, right? Or the NBA. Or if you decide to say, hey, sales is a free, I'm going to go to marketing. Everybody has to figure out how to sell, you know, mm -hmm. whether that's you on an interview, whether that's you on a first date, or whether it's you closing a $10 million deal for a corporation. You got to learn how to sell just to be the best you can in life. Absolutely. Yeah, Riley, I want to uh, go <clears throat> a little bit back on um, kind of the healthy work environment. Um, I know like nowadays, there's such a um, an incentive um, in the I workforce. Promotion. Yeah, that people, they want to instill healthy environments and they want people to come into work and be excited to work hard and be motivated. I feel like in the past, there's in the workplace, it's been a lot more fear oriented, like, oh, my boss is going to get on me or whatever, and this and that. Um, but that's cool to hear that NASCAR, in a way, is very motivated oriented in a way. Um, and so is there, are there any kind of incentives? Obviously, there's that commission check, but are there any kind of, do y'all have any kind of cool ways to like, hey, whoever, you know, wins the quarter gets this or anything like that? Uh, yeah, so... You know, a, a couple of things. Um, we do like personal incentives via team and we'll do a whole team incentive, right? Mm -hmm. So we'll have the inside sales, which is a sales academy. And then we'll have three different regions in Daytona. So we'll have Mid-Atlantic, the Southeast region, and then Midwest. I'm a part of the Midwest for consumer. Um, so like we'll do like whoever has the, the most revenue for the month, right? Or the, the highest number of calls for the month, they'll get a gift. Sometimes it's like a weekend stay at a hotel of their choosing. You know, oh, wow. sometimes That's it's like cool. a $150 gift card. And we've done smaller stuff, just like week-long things where it's like a uh, like a Harry Potter themed. I'm not a big Harry Potter guy, but we got some trophy, like a Quidditch trophy. So oh, it's just cool. cool things like that to keep you interested. Um, and they also did, when we went out to Phoenix for the championship, right? So it's all of management goes, but one uh, account executive gets to go from each region. So each team did it a different way. But like, so one of the teams in the Mid-Atlantic did AER, right? Which is, it's kind of a... Uh, a thing where you measure the number of calls you make, how long you're on the phone, how many sales you have in your revenue. And they kind of put it in together and do an equation and measure it against everybody else. Mm -hmm. So if you got highest in AER, you could get to go. You know, so if that's somebody who, even if your revenue isn't good, if you just want to sit there longer, make more calls, yeah, you're going to win, you're going to go. And that's what happened with those guys. The guy, yeah. he has, let's say, I think I want to say over 25 hours on the phone for one week. 
Wow. If you do a five hour work day, that's over five hours. Usually yeah. the average is about two. So he definitely, you know, that's one of the things, dude, you just hustle your way to a victory. Um, he was actually out there in Phoenix with us. He's a good dude. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, you're speaking of Phoenix last week. Um, unfortunately, my driver, Chase Elliott, was yeah. in, he, I mean, he was in the final eight. four. Yeah, he got kind of spun. Um, <clears throat> didn't finish where I wanted him to. But you went to the championship race, man. That's that's pretty cool. Like, incentive-wise, just be, you know, being an employee for him. Um, that'd be like, you know, an executive for the Tampa Bay Bucks getting invited to the Super Bowl out in, you know, L.A., last year to watch mm-hmm. just because he's a, an employee for the NFL. You know, that's really cool that NASCAR, you know, does that for their employees that offers that incentive for their employees, man. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Riley, a little bit more about, uh, you said you went to Phoenix. Have you ever been to any of the other races? Do you travel around a lot or how, do, what does that look like? Yeah. So it kind of depends um, we'll go, you know, each one of us will go probably about 10 or 12 a year depending on, so like we'll always be the ones in Daytona here. Um, but I went down to like Homestead. I've been to Talladega, Darlington, Martinsville, Richmond, Watkins Glen, um, going to Michigan for the first time next year, been out to Phoenix, um, been out to Bristol, Charlotte. So it just usually about one to two a month. We'll make it out to man. That's crazy. Yeah. You're also, so it sounds like you're on the road most of the time, aren't you? Yeah. There's a good amount of time where we'll have like three or four weeks in a row, you know, um, where we'll just be like, you know, you work in the office and then leave Thursday, come back on Monday, um, work in the office Tuesday to get caught up, and then boom, you're out Wednesday again for a different race. So it definitely, once the season kicks in, it will stay pretty busy, you know. Mm. But, you know, like it's a good thing. Like I feel like just last week it was April, and we we're kicking off bike week here in Daytona, and now the season's over. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it goes by so fast. So, Riley, a little bit like whenever you're on the road, what does that look like for NASCAR? Do they, for instance, do y'all stay in the, all the same hotels? Is there per diem? What are the kind of perks that they take care of you whenever you're, for instance, in Phoenix or in Bristol or wherever? Yeah, so, you know, it kind of depends on what we're doing. Um, Bristol and Charlotte, I went to more as a fan, so they didn't really take care of me as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, when we go to races, to work, right? So it also depends on where it's located. So somewhere like Richmond, we can get a hotel downtown. And it makes more sense for somewhere like Martinsville, instead of driving an hour and a half to Greensboro or over to Danville, we'll actually stay off Smith Mountain Lake, which is about 30 minutes, but we'll just get a big Airbnb on the water. You know, so just kind of, you know, everyone will be a little bit different. And for Homestead, which is actually about an hour south of Miami, um, we stayed in the Keys. So, you know, just kind of a nice little reward of what we can do there. Um, Mm -hmm. We always try to make the best of it. But the big thing that we do on track is, you know, we talk to all these people on phone calls, right? So that's another big thing about NASCAR is we're not centrally located in like Orlando, right? So if let's say you move to Tennessee and you, you don't want to go to Daytona anymore. Cool. No worries. Let's get you out to Bristol, mm-hmm. you know? So that's something very unique to our sport that someone like my brother who works for the Jacksonville Jaguars, if someone, one of his season ticket members moved to Tennessee, well, he's out, you know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so the biggest thing that we do on those weekends is seeing all of our campers, seeing all our people who, you know, are good clients with us. Cause we only use them two or three times a year. Um, then we also do pre-event renewals. So that way, you know, if you like your seats, you like your campsite, you can get everything set up at the track that weekend. We'll even give you like a renewal gift. Um, and it works out pretty good well for both ways because you still have the same payment plan. But that way, you know, you got the seats you want. You know, you got the camping or hospitality. Um, everybody loves the gift. It doesn't matter what it is. Everybody loves it. Um, and that way, you know, we can already start that renewal progress um, on a little bit of a, on a green line there. 
you know, a lot of NASCAR fans are like diehards. You know, you talk about renewals and stuff like that. A lot of those people, that's their vacation. You know, that is that is what they enjoy going to do on their time off. And I love it, man. I've been to Daytona. I've been to a, a couple of 400s. I love going to the race. Uh, you go out. We've had the hot passes um, mm-hmm. and been able to go do whatever, you know, the, the weekend can offer. Um, and you see all the campers, man. You see all the, you know, the infield where they have the Uno, um, what's it called? The Plaza in there. Yeah, the UNOH fan zone. Yeah, the fan zone. And it's so cool, man. My first time going over there, I actually won tickets. A buddy of won tickets on a radio show on the NASCAR XM Sirius uh, channel. And we got to go over there and watch the Bush Clash for my first race ever. And we got, you know, tickets to the van zone and everything. And when you go in the fan zone, you can check out, like, they have, you know, these big garages and stuff. And you can walk. You can't, like, go in the garage, but you can walk up to the garage and look through the window. Mm-hmm. And you could see them and they're like turning the wrenches, working on cars or, you know, get an autograph because there's a little place where you could slide like a hat or something that gets signed by the crew chief or something. It's really, really cool. It's really hands-on experience for fans. And that's something that, you know, other sports don't really offer. Yeah, and I would say that's kind of the biggest thing that separates us from more of a stick and ball type sport like your traditional, you know, baseball, basketball, soccer, football is we don't really sell wins and losses. You know, we're not selling to one team. We're not selling just to Chase Elliott fans. We're selling, you know, a, an experience. We're selling a track. Yeah. Um, so we really don't, you know, we're not hoping that a certain racer wins. We're hoping you guys have a good time. And so much of NASCAR is an experience-based weekend. You know, people aren't going to see their favorite driver win, right? They're one out of 40. So their percentage of winning is very slim. But each track is kind of has its own little nature to it. You know, like, Martinsville that still feels like you're in the 50s is very different from Daytona that had a million dollar renovation done probably five years ago. Um, so every little track's got its own unique thing. And I'll have many people who go, hey, I'm going to this track this year and this track next year. We're going to eventually hit them all. Um, so it's a very much so. Uh, you'll pick your vacation, especially like Phoenix. You know, you go up there a week early, you can go hiking, go to the mountains. It's so much more of a destination thing than anything. Yeah, man, it's really cool that. Like, that's how the sport's set up. Like you said, nobody has, you know, there's no home field for NASCAR, man. Like, that's my goal. I want to, you know, I've been to Daytona now twice. It's really cool. See a lot of cool wrecks. But I'd like to make it out, you know, like to Talladega. Uh, I'd like to go to Bristol. I'd like to go to Martinsville. I'd like to go, you know, my personal favorite track I'd like to go watch a race at would probably be Phoenix just because I know it'd be the championship. But other than that, I'd like to go to, like, Indianapolis, bro. Like, Yep. Just to get the different, you know, experiences from all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I've never been really a huge NASCAR fan, um, but the more Brian and I lived together for two years in college, and so he would turn it on. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is pretty cool. Whatever, we played the NASCAR video game. Um, but I, I mean, just the whole conversation makes me want to get into it. But um, Riley, like, what's your favorite track? Where would you go? Like, for instance, for me, if I'm going on a vacation, where where should I go? If you're going for the first time, right, on a vacation, um, I'm always a little biased to Homestead or Daytona just because you're from the Keys right there. You can go to the beach. Mm-hmm. You're an hour from everything. If you like the golf, definitely Phoenix, dude. Ten minutes outside of Phoenix is all the best golf courses you can ever go to. You know, That's If awesome. you like to be a little bit somewhere where there's nice scenery, beautiful. We stayed up in Bristol for the first dirt race that they had, um, and we stayed about 30 minutes away in Abington, and we got this little Airbnb. Um, it, was, it's, it only felt like eight people. But it was on like the top of a hill on a hay farm, and it was absolutely gorgeous to wake up to. You know, so it kind of depends on whatever you guys want to do. If you love trails, things like that, like nature, 
Watkins Glen is in the middle of uh, right under the Finger Lakes in Seneca mm. um, in New York. And it's literally in a state park. It is absolutely gorgeous. That's and then the, the cool thing is, is it's also very unique at NASCAR. We have camping too. Yeah. You know, so ima- imagine your SEC college tailgate, but for seven straight days and it's only 200 bucks. You know, oh, wow. so a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it is people who don't want to go and spend all the hotels will bring your camper. You know, it's 300 bucks for a whole week and you can just, you're a hundred yards away from the track. Yeah, that's sick. So would, they, would they watch the race from their camper or would they have seats up there? It depends. Um, so some tracks will have infill camping. So like in Daytona, we have literally camping. So you'll have the track where they're going 200 miles an hour. You'll have probably 10 feet of grass, a fence, and then boom, you're your camper. <laughs> that's yeah, cool. dude. It's cool. It's, it's absolutely insane to watch it from there. And a lot of these people who will have like class A RVs or like pool behind, they'll actually get structures on top, like scaffolding on top of their RV and they'll watch it from the top. And that's probably the best place to view a race out of any. Yeah, because you, you're you literally in the middle of the track. You can see like yeah. all four turns and both straightaways. You know, when I go at Daytona, the past two times I've been there, I normally sit uh, right at the entrance of Pit Road. Right where you can see all hell break loose when the white or the checker flags up in the air and forty cars are coming to the line at two hundred miles an hour trying to win the four hundred to get in the playoff. Man, yeah, it, it's absolutely insane, especially because you know you got four wide. They're really only supposed to be three, but they could fit four in because they're about half an inch apart. But there's always one guy who tries to go on that outside lane to make it five wide. And it just never works. Nope. And it always everything just gets jumbled. You know, they always call it, they call it the big one. Every every plate track is what they're called. Um, it's where you know you're on the track and your foot hits the gas, and it'll come off the gas until a yellow flag comes out, or you know you're avoiding somebody. That's what a plate track is. And it's over yeah, a mile. Yeah, to kind of get a perspective on it, imagine going 190 miles an hour with people in front of behind you, give or take six inches that constantly hits you. Mm. And then you got to keep it straight. Cause if you move and hit somebody a little bit, the air is going to hit them and then you're going to wreck 30 people. Yeah. Mm. Dude, it's really cool. It, it is insane. It is very nerve wracking, but that's kind of the stigma of it. You know, they call it the big one, like you said, but it's not an, if it's going to happen, it's, it's just win. a win. Yep. So you can tell, especially once 20 laps starting to go, that's when everybody starts to make their moves. People, you can just feel it. You know, people start to get nervous, start to get anxious and it, it is just a blast. Yeah, man. And, and in the sounds, too. Like, when you're at the track and you hear it, like, you hear these cars hit each other and you you, you, you can smell, like, the rubber and the burning. Like, yeah. it's, it's mm-hmm. dude, it's so much fun. I would highly suggest people to get out to a racetrack, catch one in their lifetime. Yeah, so uh, especially, like, nowadays, I know, you know, the big last death in NASCAR was um, Dale Earnhardt, right? And then... Um, since then, there's been huge advancements in um, the technology with the cars, correct? Do you want to go in a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, I'm not really in racing operations, so I don't know all the main details of it. But, right. you know, once they took a look at Dale, what happened to Dale is just kind of like a failure when he got hit from the side. Um, ironically enough, Ryan Newman was actually the one who said, hey, we need to fix this. Um, and if you guys don't remember back in 2020 yeah. when he flipped, trying to win the 500, if the part that he hadn't said we need to be fixed if that wasn't in there he would have died yeah you know and just because of that he spent overnight at at a halifax hospital there and then he was gone you know so the the advancements of the cars are absolutely insane um you have what's called a hans device which it kind of it just sits right here you can't move your neck you can't move your head really that much at all so you're strapped in like you're not moving um but yeah it's we got we got the new car that came in this year that we have a small problem with but it you know it's new so they're working on that 
Um, but it's it's one of the things, you know, people don't call NASCAR a sport because, you know, we're not hitting each other in the heads with helmets. But, I mean, when's the last time you saw somebody die? You know what I mean? Right. So, like, it's definitely just as tough as a sport as anything else. No, I agree. I 100% it. NASCAR is a sport, man. You, you tried to tell me to go, or as a normal person, you try to go turn a car that's going... 200 miles an hour, right? And this is not, this isn't, they're not automatic cars. Like, you don't get in and you just hit the gas and go. Like, these are manual stock cars. So you get in a stock car and you're going 200 miles an hour and then you have to turn that thing on a degree of banking that's 85 degrees. So the turns at Daytona when you go on the track, you can literally it's go. It's like a hike to walk up. You literally could go like this and you're catching yourself right here. So, like, you're, you're literally looking up the race, like the track. So, Matt, like yeah, it's, it's, I believe it's a 33 degree incline. Yeah. So like trying, trying to turn that, not the average person's not going to be able to turn that going that fast. Like those guys work out, they're athletes and the, their mental side of it. And I saw, I saw yeah. something, um, they lose like a ton of water while they're racing, right? Yeah. I so they, they're, so like, let's say like for Daytona in August, right? It's going to be 95 to hundred degrees outside. So that means on the track, cause you have a fire suit on, which is basically like a heavy winter jacket. Um, so after that, the internal tip's like 130, 140 degrees. And then you're just sitting there for three, four hours at a time. So like there'll be people who will lose 15, 20 pounds just in water weight. Yeah. So like that, cool. their they're resting heart rate's 158, 160. Like they'll start to do diagnostics on these drivers. And then just what they come out with is insane. That's an, that's unreal. Yeah, I was about to say, I thought that was a little far-fetched whenever I was about to say it, but I thought I had heard people would lose like 20 pounds while they're driving yeah. but yeah. i didn't i didn't realize that was a real thing that's you know, crazy uh i went to the 400 in 2019 um and i believe one of the drivers like they don't have much ac but the little ac units they do have broke uh and his helmet like the little extension cord it wasn't working or something mm-hmm. he got out of his car and this was at night too after the race finished um, I believe it was Austin Dillon. He got out of his car and like almost collapsed just because yeah. from heat exhaustion and not having like his AC or water, he just collapsed. It's how hot it gets inside that car, man. That's crazy. Yeah, some of them. I know AJ Allmendinger used to do this. They actually make so back. Remember, like your your pal days, right? You had the little shirt, the compression shirt that had all the padding in it. Yeah, they make that, but it actually shoots cold water through it to keep you kind of like your central organs cold. Mm-hmm. But like if that goes out or like you lose your water and can't get another one, you're stuck out there two, three hours at a time just sweating. And it's not like, I mean, obviously a driver can do what he needs deemed to be done for safety. But when you have like, you know, a multi-million dollar payout in the line and you have multi-million dollar sponsors on that hood and you have an owner up there that's paying you a lot of money, you can be hot for three hours. Yeah. Like you're not, you you're going to be hot for three hours or you're going to push the limits as a driver to, you know, earn that money that well, you're that, That's the getting. thing. They're also professionals too. I mean, like they, they want to win. They, yeah. there's a reason yeah, why they're, you know, everybody they there's a competitor, you yeah. know, like they want the trophy just as bad as anybody else. Yeah. And I just know from like my athletic background, I can, you know, I can in football is a big thing. Um, when I was in high school, I played both sides of the ball. So there'd be times where I'd be wheezing or whatever, be so tired. It's like, nah, we'll go one more snap. And I feel like it's the same kind of thing with the driver. Yeah, it's, it's like, no, I don't like need to pee. Like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, like somebody like, let's say who does like Olympic track, right? They don't even have a sponsor that's for themselves. I don't believe, but they're not going to stop. You know, like you saw the one guy who 
tore his calf muscle and just kept going, even though he knew he was going to lose just because he didn't want to be, he didn't want to stop. Right. Yeah. That's a big thing in sports, I feel like. But, you know, I love where we, you know, kind of gone down that rabbit hole. I love, I love NASCAR. Like, don't get me wrong. I can't wait to get back out to my next track, wherever I plan to go to. I'm sure you can help me out, um, pick one out. And I want to take him too bad because I know he would have a good time. Uh, but Riley, you know, we gotten to how you've gotten there. We've gotten to, you know, the perks and the benefits of being an employee. You, what's, what's kind of your future plan along NASCAR? Are you, are you going to stay there and, you know, try to move up the ranks as high as you can or what, what's kind of your game plan? Yeah. I mean, as far as I can tell, my game plan is just to stay with NASCAR, man. You know, they've been, they've been nothing but the best to me personally. And for me to want to leave that is just, I don't think I could ever do it, you know, unless something were to happen. Um, but, you know, they've, they've always have room to grow if you can prove you can, you know, and they always put you in front of good leaders above you that can make that happen for you, you know, so that, and then I bought a house here. So, you know, yeah, you're not going anywhere on that thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't bite the hand that feeds you, I guess. Right. Right. So would you, you wouldn't ever consider going to MLB? I know with your baseball background. Yeah, so, you know, I'm a very big fan of baseball, right? Grew up playing it, actually played with Spradlin. That's how I met him in college, um, playing summer leagues. He was my catcher. Uh, but the big problem and, you know, one of the biggest things they always told us is it's hard to work in the sport that you love, right? Because yeah. mm-hmm. it's very hard to differentiate yourself between a fan and an employee, um, you know, so and that's one of the things, like, you work, like, let's say baseball, right? They got a ton of home games. So you finally worked that 82nd one. The last thing you want to do is go and watch a baseball game. Mm-hmm. You know, to where like for me, if I work a race weekend, I'll probably work 97 hours in one week. On that Monday, the first thing I want to do is go to the Daytona Tortugas, the single A team, kick my feet back and watch a single A baseball game. Yeah, you know, right. so it's one of them things. It, I wouldn't really recommend it for myself. I don't think I would like it just because I don't really have anything. You know, I, w- I wouldn't want to watch that as a fan. Yeah, if that makes sense. I, you know, I, I totally agree. Um, since I, my playing career has been over, I've had some people ask me, like, hey, are you going to stick around the game? Like, you, you think about coaching or whatnot? And my answer to them, bro, is the straightest, no. Like, nah. Like, I'm good with just being, going to the trop and watching a couple games a year. I love baseball, but, like, I don't want, I have new adventures now, bro. Like, mm-hmm. I, I want to do different things. And there's I, no problem with that. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's yeah, different. I- Go ahead, Riley. I was just gonna, it's very different for me since I'm more on the business side of things, right? So like if you're in player ops, you're an athletic trainer, you know, and you got to be with the team. Obviously, it's better if you have a sport that you like because it's going to be a long season if you don't, you know. But like on the business side, you know, it's we we only care about the numbers. To be flat out honest with you, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so when yeah, when you do that, everything you don't look at it as like a sport, you know. Like when I went to Phoenix, we were working, so it wasn't like cool, cool. I get to sit down and just watch the race. Like we were trying to make sure our numbers matched up so that way we could put ourselves in a good spot for next year. So I really only got to enjoy like 30 laps of it. But it's just, you know, it's because we don't think like that. Our our brains are wired differently. That's true. I get that. I get that. Yeah, Riley, I think it's a good time. Uh, We wanted to move a little bit into um, the snap questions, which kind of the purpose behind the snap questions is to get to know you more as a person. You know, we've talked about NASCAR and we've talked about your jobs and your goals and your aspirations. Uh, We kind of want to, know a little bit like who's the real Riley. Um, So we asked this question at the beginning of every snap questions. If you could have three people out to dinner that are alive, who would those three people be? 
I'd have to say one for sure would be Derek Jeter. Um, nice. You know, he's one of the people, if you look over at his career, especially when he first started out, he was never someone that was like, that's the dude. You know, he would never came out like Trout or Harper, hitting 40 home runs in a year. He was always your very consistent doubles, triples guy who would mix a couple in. But the way that he carried himself made him such a leader that he became that dude in a different way. Yeah. You know, especially like when you're that dude for the Yankees, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that would be the biggest thing is just like, you know, like following his antics, like just picking his brain on things, you know, being, how do you lead the clubhouse? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think that would be a really cool one. Um, I saw a one quote that they didn't think, uh, I forget who said this, but um, they said Derek Jeter wouldn't be Derek Jeter if he never got drafted by the Yankees. Like if he was, for instance, with the A's, he wouldn't be this legend that everybody knows. But the fact that he was that guy for the New York Yankees, and obviously he could be a captain for you know Oakland Athletics, like he'd be probably an above average shortstop. But the fact that he was that guy and was put on that pedestal for New York, yes, it kind of sells him. But. Yeah, yeah, we've got sure. we've gotten DJ or I call him DJ. We gotten Derek Jeter a couple of times mm-hmm. from our guests. Yeah. yeah, as far as the other two, I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, probably Dale Earnhardt. Nice just because the intimidator. Like, everybody always talks about him and his mentality, and I would just love to pick his brain on some things. You know, like. When he just absolutely wrecks somebody, he goes, ah, I just got into him a little bit. Like, we both know. <laughs> yeah. Put the bumper to him and put him right into the wall. Like, it's, there's no way you can't, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just got into him a little bit. Um, so I, I would just love to talk to him, you know, see his background, kind of how that happened. And then if I had to pick someone else non-sports, Oh, I know we've um, had um, we've had a lot of comedians. Um, yeah. We've had people come up with, for instance, like mine. Um, mine is uh, Robin Williams, Matthew McConaughey, and Elon Musk. And so, yeah, I'd love to talk to Elon because I feel like he, he just he's different, dude. Yeah, he, like just yeah. the way that he thinks about things and like the way that his brain processes stuff is incredible. To me. Well, people say whenever they have conversations with them, it's like they're, they're talking to a higher being. Yeah, they, yeah, they feel yeah, like yeah. it's not even a, like human. another human. Yeah, mine. Yeah. Uh, Mine were Joe Rogan, I my college professor, and Elon. Um, mm-hmm. My first three. I think that'd be a very fun conversation. You got your, you got your third ready for us yet? Uh, I, it would probably honestly have to be Elon. Yeah, um, we sold him on like, it. So, like, if you look at the businesses that are very successful, it's like they own their company, but whatever like is usually subleased that their company has to like pay out to get to do or subcontracted, they own that as well. And yeah, so now yeah. they kind of start dipping their hands in so many markets that they can't fail. And I think that's kind of like Elon Musk to a T, you know, yeah. like with SpaceX, Tesla, now Twitter, like he's dipping his hands. In, he's going to be like the next Amazon. I think branding wise, where they're just like, he's got everything and everything. Well, he's already covered the big three, social media, yeah. uh, Amazon, and then, you know, transportation. So that's pretty, that's solid three right there. That's yeah. a, that's a yeah. good and conversation. With, yeah. With everybody in the next hundred years, like the space race and all this stuff, like, I think he's going to be on the forefront of it, yeah. you know, oh, obviously sure. with SpaceX and all that stuff. So I think he eventually is just going to start taking off. And imagine that uh, the conversation with uh, Elon and uh, Dale Earnhardt, like yeah, they, they would have two together. Opposites. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah. Or they would be like trying to pump each other up to who yeah. can get to Jupiter first, first. or whatever. <laughs> um, all right, Riley, our next snap question for you. This is my, my one I came up with because I know you're in the NASCAR realm. And he might just be a business guy, but who's your who's your favorite driver? Like if if you're sitting back on a Sunday and you're watching the Cup Series, who's the guy you're like, man, I really hope he pulls it out today? Yeah. So when I first got into the sport uh, back in 2019, knew absolutely nothing about NASCAR. Right? I was under the impression, you know, why would you want to watch left turns on a TV? Um, yeah. 
But, you know, once you've got your first race, you're like, dude, like, you need to follow a driver, right? If you can pick a driver to follow for a couple of races, it makes them so much more fun because now you can start to see what their strategy is and all that stuff. But as far as the driver, probably Ryan Blaney. Nice. You know, when I first started, he was just out of the Wood Brothers, won the Pimsky. Um, but this is back before they made him shave. So he had the big old, like, caterpillar mustache, long hair. <laughs> well, he looked like he was straight out of Darlington. Yeah. Said, yep, that's my man. I like it. You know, I think I think if my partner here got into it, I'm, I'm I've been working on him. I think that'd be his favorite driver too. <laughs> you know, He's a great guy too. Absolutely phenomenal human being. You know the funny story of how I became a Chase Elliott fan. You know, it's kind of the stigma. It's like you know Chase Elliott's kind of like the new Earnhardt brand. You know, it's yep. just like the big name. But literally, bro, I kid you not. This is how I became a Chase Elliott fan. I'm sitting there with my buddy watching the race. We've been having some drinks, and I look at him like. How should I pick a driver? Like, I want to be a fan. How should I pick a driver? He said, there's a lot of different ways. He said, you just want to pick for the guys from the furthest south? I was like, yeah. And at, the, at this time, Ross uh, Chastain wasn't in the Cup Series. Uh -huh. um, so he's like, all right, well, your driver is Chase Elliott. He's from Dawsonville, Georgia. I was like, sweet. I'm, reading, I'm rooting for the guy from Georgia. You know, I didn't know that he was going to be a superstar or a champion. Yeah. And that was just how I picked him. I was like, all right, sweet. He's from Georgia. And that's my guy. And yeah, it's the the way people pick their drivers are insane. I had a girlfriend um, who, when I first started, I took her up. It was her first Daytona 500, and I said, "Hey, you got to pick a driver, right?" And she was going to nursing school. She goes, "I like the Advent Health Car, which was Chastain back when he was with like Spire, right? He had yeah. no chance of getting in the top 20." But you know, it was Daytona. I'm like, she goes, "Never know a chance." What I'm like, eh, "Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's always you know? a chance." Yeah, Michael Michael McDowell, <laughs> yeah. Michael McDowell. Oh, dude, what a guy too! That I felt so good for that man. You know, and he's a great guy, but just busting it out for years. Dude, he's like a veteran, been in like you know, hadn't been in one of the top tier cars, mm -hmm. um, been in kind of the middle of the pack. Uh, he's a guy that you know leads the drivers' worship Sunday service right before races. Um, he pulled it off. The Daytona 500 and the 34 Lowe's, or not Lowe's, Love's car. Love's and, travel style, yeah. Yep, <laughs> pulled it off, man. Like, his odds to win the race were like 2,000 to 1 before. Wow. Yeah, dude. It's yeah, it was insane. Pretty cool story. So uh, Somebody picked like him and somebody else on a par lane, won like 100 grand. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, hey, uh, let's talk a little bit about... Um, if you could work in like any other field, like have you ever had a field where you were like, you know, I think that would be really cool or like kind of like this is my dream job. Now, it could be work for NASCAR doing uh, sales. Um, but did you ever have anything where you're like, if I could ever do that, like I, I'd, I'd make it like that. That'd be my thing. No, dude, for sure. So like if, if money was taken out of the picture, right, and I could just mm -hmm. do whatever I wanted, like it loved it. You know, I would definitely want to be like a high school athletic director and a, and a baseball coach. Yeah, that would nice. be probably my favorite job. Believe it or not, when I was in college, um, we were trying to, I was trying to figure out this whole, you know, like, oh shit, like in two years, like I got to be an adult, like I need to find a career, right? Mm -hmm. I actually interviewed Sprad's dad like three times um, just to like pick his brain on things and all of that. And then, you know, if the NASCAR thing wouldn't happen, uh, I, I probably would have got my master's degree and just went and be like a high school AD. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, for those of y'all that don't know Brian's dad, he is the athletic director at Fort Maine High School. Yes, where, he is. We're kind of from. Um, you give me, ask you me ask the last one. All right, ma'am. We asked this one too to a couple of our guests. We get a lot of different responses, but if I were to give you a hundred grand right now, I just wire transferred it to you. What are you doing with this money? Where, where are you going with yeah. it? I so mean, anytime you can, I get 
yeah, anytime I get like discretionary income, like commission or anything like that, I always follow, I always pay off the bills, obviously, right? But something like this, I would do the 60, 30, 10 rule. So like 60%, I'm going to invest, right? Whatever that is, whether that's your Roth, 401k, you know, crypto, whatever you want to do, that's what I do is invest the 60. The 30% I save, you know, so that like rainy day, like I need money now, boom, I have it. Um, when that 10%, that's what I give myself to just spend on dumb money, you know? Because mm-hmm. I'm a person, if I don't spend money, I get nervous. But if I don't watch out, I'll spend all of it. You yeah. Know? So yeah. I give myself that in cash. You know, let's say it's like a grand. I give myself a grand in cash, and once it's done, it's done. Um, and that kind of fulfills my need to spend it while I'll still be kind of savvy with the rest of it. Right, right. I'm the same way. I mean, if I... Obviously, like in my head, I've never heard of the 60-30-10 rule. I like that. Yeah, I'm I do too. I like that. that. Um, I do like that. Yeah, I told uh, I told Brian, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely investing in something so I can make my money. But, you know, in, in reality, in fact, you know, I might I might take a little something. I don't have a nice man. weekend. Yeah. Uh-huh, you have honestly. to a little bit. You know, just, there's no point in making money if you don't spend it, I think. You know, you just got to spend it reasonably. Yeah. I think if somebody gave me a hundred grand right now, I would take it. I'd pay off my student loans. Yeah. And then, I mean, after that, I would probably have about, you know, 35-ish left. And I'd probably just put a nice down payment on a truck or a house. I'm telling you. I did it about a month ago. I understand you. And then I just set myself up, you know, to live. That's all I do. Yeah, them, them student loans ain't. ain't yeah, ain't, ain't no, no joke, joke, man. I actually. And they're not going away. <laughs> um. Yeah. Oh. I know they. Uh. They shut down the. Um. What you call it? The, the waving. Deal? Yeah. The waving the student loans. Well, I I heard. I thought he was going to give ten grand out or something. Hopefully, I applied for it. We'll see. Yeah. We shall see. All right, that's Riley. You know. thing, oh, whether you no, agree with it, uh, that's one of the things. Whether you agree with it or not. If you don't take the ten grand, it makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. exactly. If, if like, they pass it, because I got these. I had a friend who was like, "Yeah, I'm not going to do it just on principle." I said, "Well, you're an idiot." Yeah, yeah. you know, it's you're going to pay the next years in taxes. You might as well take it now. Yeah. Um, but that's a story for a different day. But yeah, it's, I was I was <laughs> we'll about see. to say the same thing. I was having a conversation with my mom, and she was. Uh, I mean, I'm not necessarily for it. I don't think you know why should my college get paid for and other people that actually paid for theirs, you know, um, they get there taxed on it. Like trade school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so uh, my mom was, I was like, I don't think I should take it. She goes, you're dumb not to take it. Yeah. I don't agree with it either, Either, but if somebody's going to give you 10 grand, you might as well take it because somebody else will take it if you don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If this is anything I've known about the government, they're going to get their money some way or another. Yeah, they will. Usually in the form of taxes, so I might as well take it because I'm going to have to give it to them either way in the long yeah. term. Yeah, for real. You know, well, Riley, I had an awesome time today. Thank you, you know, so much for agreeing to come on. I... Absolutely loved it. You were one of the guys that I thought off of rip, you know, to have on. You have a really cool story. You work for a really big, big brand. You shed some light on it, man. Thank you. Like NASCAR, bro. Oh, I just love this episode. It's going to be one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, Brian and I will definitely have to uh, contact you and get me out to Daytona or Homestead or wherever. And uh, maybe we can link up and, you know, we'll, we'll post a TikTok or something and uh, hopefully have you on back on uh, later in life. Yeah, man. Yeah, dude, let me know. You know, even if you guys like uh, like sports cars, you know, we have the Rolex 24. It's a 24-hour straight endurance race mm. um, in the, the last weekend of January there in the 28th. So it is an absolute blast. And, like, most people don't realize, like, NASCAR tickets are generally pretty affordable, you know? Yeah. It's like all four days of activities. You're looking at, like, 115 bucks for the, the January race. And that Not gets bad. you into the pits and the garages. Like, it's an all-access pass for 100 bucks for the whole week. It's it's insane. So for any of our listeners that want to contact you to try to um, get some tickets, how would they contact you? 
Yeah, so the easiest way would just be kind of like emailing me on what track and what kind of options you guys are looking at. Um, and that would just be R, and then my last name, McClellan, M-C-C-L-E-L-L-A-N, at NASCAR.com. Or just give me a call on my office line. It'll go directly to me. Um, that one's going to be 386-681-4065. Awesome, man. Well, Riley, we wish you nothing but the best of luck. May life treat you fast. I hope that's how uh, people in the NASCAR world <laughs> think about it. I hope you keep going fast, and I hope you keep pulling off the checker flags, bud. Appreciate it, man. I look forward to speaking with you guys again. Awesome, man. Yep, thanks.